we are fearful of things like rejection, of failure, and of anything that will alter our self-concept, right? Like we are really good at imagining our best selves and anything that will detract to that will often give us a lot of anxiety, right? Which we experience and label as fear. But fear really is about, is anxiety um, about a particular sort of thing. Hi everyone, I'm Katina McHenry and welcome to another episode of Fuck Fear. Today we are talking about fear of evaluation in the workplace. And my guest today is a dear friend and a colleague, associate professor of strategy and entrepreneurship, Sekou Burmese. He is at the University of North Carolina in the Keenan Flagler Business School. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy to see you and reconnect. It has been too long. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I should warn you, I'm a New Yorker. And if you start cursing, I can't stop. So yes. I hope you I hope you understand what you've what you've done here. Oh, so, uh, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I know well what I'm doing. <laughs> but I'm doing well. All all things considered, I'm doing Good. well. I can't complain. Well, I start each episode by asking my guest one question, which is what are you afraid of? Oh man. Uh I should have known this was coming. I can't believe I didn't prepare for this question. <laughs> um I am probably, well, if I'm being real, I'm probably, my biggest fear is got to do now with my kids. Mm. So um, I thought about this a lot, actually. I gave a talk a number of years ago to an, or, a, an organization that they're in. And I had to think about like, well, what's my biggest fear? My biggest fear was that something would happen to them. And, it, and I realized it wasn't that they would get hurt. Like, are they going to get hurt? but that they would be damaged, right? So like if he falls down and gets breaks his arm, I'm like, oh, that's bad. But if he's like, I'm never going to attempt to run again, yeah. that is probably my biggest fear. So my biggest fear is at this moment, and you know, with kids, you're like, you think about them all the time and they're young, they're like 10 and seven. So they're still like my babies. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's probably a big fear of mine. Aside from like, you know, the death stuff, death is, oh death is always in the number one. Am I not supposed to be this heavy? I'm sorry. No, you know, supposed to be as real as you need to be. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> so those are, those are the, the two things, the rest of the stuff, eh, you know, I, I, I'll be all right. I don't worry too much about other stuff, but those yeah. are the two big things. I get both of those. I completely understand. Yeah. Yeah. Death, I will have to admit, is one of my biggest fears. And with yeah. children, yeah, that they, yeah, that they will be emotionally damaged. I totally get that. Yeah. 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 Well, you teach courses in people analytics, managing human capital, leading for impact and organizational theory and design. So today, of mm -hmm. course, we're talking about fear of evaluation in the workplace. And I think this is something that people feel or think about whether they have been in the job for a year or more or just starting in the job. So talk a little bit about just from your um, research, what what that really means and how um, how it affects employees. Yeah, um, so fear is is interesting. It's um, you know within you know social psychology of organizations, you know we break down fear to it's 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 a you know basic definition of like anxiety, um, concern about something that will cause pain, and you know evolutionarily fear has saved us, right? Fear has prevented us from uh, poking a, a bear with a stick and, and those kind of things. 
Um, but modern man, you know, an organization man, right? Um, we are fearful of things like rejection, of failure, and of anything that will alter our self-concept, yeah. right? Like we are really good at imagining our best selves and anything that will detract to that will often give us a lot of anxiety, right? Which we experience and label as fear. But fear really is about, is anxiety um, about a particular sort of thing. Um, and so, you know, in my research, I think um, I focus a lot on mobility. So people like moving and changing jobs and deciding what jobs they should be in. And so things like turnover are often uh, predicted by how we experience the workplace, whether we're comfortable or not, um, whether or not we're anxious about, are we doing a good job? Are we going to get promoted? Um, all these kind of things kind of all come into play. And oftentimes you will see turnover happen. And afterwards you say like, well, why did you leave? And it's like, I don't know. You know, it, it was suboptimal for me to leave. I was a good job. I, I was actually well liked, but I felt some sort of anxiety about uh, working there. And so there's a lot of, I think, um, wasted waste, you know, um, due to uh, people unable to kind of process these emotions about fear in the workplace. Yeah. Do you feel like people feel like and think that they are constantly being evaluated in the workplace? Or do you think that it's something that management makes people feel a certain way? So I'm wondering if it's something like that we create in our own heads about you know, feeling like we're always being watched or looked at, or is it sometimes management makes employees feel that way? Yeah, um, I will say it's, it's probably a little bit of both, but I think um, we are always constantly evaluating ourselves versus other people, right? We are social beings. So you can never ask someone like how they're doing. They're gonna say like, well, how am I doing compared to how I think other people are? And then that's how we answer any question. Um, so anytime we're triggered to start thinking about comparisons, we get anxious. That's a natural thing. So that's always going to be a baseline there. But organizations can do uh, a number on us by constantly triggering us with these comparisons all the time. Um, you know, and in you know my area of people analytics, where you know organizations are realizing, oh, we can just. Uh, uh, study more and collect more data and observe more, you know, we're all virtual now. So every meeting is recorded. Every interaction you have is now on some ledger. Um, and I think it does kind of up the, the, the anxiety level within people because they're constantly getting these triggers of comparison to others. Yeah. You know, I find, I found it interesting in the job that I'm in now, I've never had to self-evaluate in a form style mm. where I had to basically answer these questions, but also think about the work that I had done over a period of time, rate mm. that and actually write down how I think I did, which is the hardest thing to do, but also awkward at the same time. Because I always wonder like, how is that information being used? Who is looking mm. at it? Uh -huh. And that I think guides what, I think that guided my answers, but I've huh. never to do that before. So how common is that in, in the workplace of self-evaluation? And then it wasn't just self, it was mm -hmm. another person too, who was evaluating me. Mm -hmm. um, well, you know, most organizations do some sort of like yearly annual evaluation. Um, you know, I think the trend now is to do these, um, 
you know, management by objectives. So you meet at the beginning and you say, these are the things I want to accomplish this year. And then afterwards you say like, all right, how, how well did you do? Those are, I think, more of the um, technical aspects of the job. Um, what you're talking about, or at least how I interpret what you're talking about is, you know, I look at a block of time, how well have I developed as, um, an, as a manager, as a leader, as a colleague, you know, the, what we call soft skills, but really the most important things, especially as you move up an organization and, you know, doing that self-reflection. And it's not built into most organizations, regular HR processes, but there's a huge cottage industry now of uh, evaluations, coaching, all these kind of things, right? Even when I when I was at, at UT, we would, um, you know, there were these contracts where they literally would bring us into some organizations and like help us with coaching, like people getting feedback and looking back at their careers and, and getting advice. And I think what has happened is organizations are like, well, we don't need to build that internally. We'll just bring X company in and they'll help us out with that and then they'll leave and then we'll go back to what we're doing. So I think people are getting more exposure to it, but more often than not, it is through some third party that they're that they're dealing with these executive coaches, for example, right? This is primarily what they're there to do is to help you kind of look at, okay, what are the areas you're really you know strong? What are areas you need to work on? And how do you think about the next steps to grow and stretch yourself? And those are tough conversations. It takes a lot of time. I think you have to be well-trained to provide someone that advice. And so for those reasons, most organizations are like, uh, we'll just bring somebody in. You know, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So when it comes to people analytics, you talked a little bit about in the beginning, just anxiety and, and mm -hmm. how that um, is manifested from fear. So when it comes to evaluation, how do you think that just just the idea of evaluation and then the actual evaluation itself in the one-on-one -on -one meeting, how do you think fear plays into productivity? Mm. That's uh, this is good. I think it, it shows itself in a lot of different ways. The, the basic way is avoidance, <laughs> right? So when we fear something or anxious about it, guess what? We just try to ignore it for as long as possible, right? So if anyone has a big promotion or they have to put together their urine evaluation, do they start writing that thing up three months before it's due and craft it and show it to you? No, they wait until, oh, it's due tomorrow. All right. right. I've avoided it as long as I can. And then they do it. And, you know, inevitably what happens when you do that is you do just a, you do a, a much worse job at your, your evaluation process is, is, uh, is, is less productive. So, you know, um, I think it can hurt in how we uh, try to get feedback because we're so fearful of getting negative feedback. And, um, you know, in, in a, like, a, there's a, a great book by, um, oh man, I forgot the, uh, the guy's name, but he talks about like these different types of employees you have and these uh, incompetent fools, right? So there are these people who don't know and they don't really want to know. They don't want to learn and they're just happy to just, be ignorant. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately, I think because of fear, there's a part of us that is kind of like, I'd rather have no news than bad news. <laughs> and so I won't ask, I won't make myself vulnerable, right? So I'll, I'll, I'll borrow my former colleague, Brene Brown's, you know, vulnerability, right, is being important. The reason vulnerability is so tough is it leaves us open to evaluation, right? And embarrassment, and, um, but only when we do that, do we actually get 
the advice that can actually help us, right? And so I think this is a little kind of meta, right? This is not like, how is it impacting our day-to-day -day productivity? I think day-to-day -day people are fine, but I think it does impact maybe your long-term trajectory. I think fear can, can prevent you from going into an area that you're interested in or pursuing a job that you're interested in um, and having like those midlife crisis level <laughs> uh, issues. You know, I don't think you're gonna feel it a year, but 20 years later, you're like, you know what? I never took the chance to do X, Y, and Z. Right. And now I regret that, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was part of my personal journey. Why I got into academia was recognizing that fear. Um, Ooh, the fear talk of- about that. Talk about that. Um, yeah, so this was, um, let's see, 2001. Um, I'm working in New York City uh, by 9-11, working in uh, World Financial Center. Uh, so 9-11 happens. Everyone is just, you know, it, it, it's just inexplicable, right? You're just like, everything I know has just been laid to rubble. We couldn't go into work, you know? And we started, a lot of people were starting to ask some questions like, am I doing what I should be doing? You know, that kind of a deal. Um, and so some people did stuff, but a lot of us kind of said like, yeah, maybe I do want to venture off, but man, I don't know if I'd succeed in that. And I kind of know what I'm doing here. And I, I realized that was a fear thing, right? I was worried about stepping out of a very comfortable job that I was performing well in. Um, and once I saw that, I was like, so the only reason I'm not pursuing academia is I'm afraid that I might not get into a school mm -hmm. or I'm afraid that I'm... And I was like, well, that's not a good enough reason, right? And so um, thankfully I had mentors that kind of pushed me to explore it. And, you know, my transition was rough. Uh, I was an engineer, then I became a consultant, and then I became, you know, for a social scientist PhD in essence, right, at, at Northwestern. I was not prepared. I didn't know how to write. I was reading, you know, dead German texts, you know, uh, for the first time in my life. And um, I was struggling. And, um, you know, at that point, once, you know, I was always worried about being seen as, you know, not good enough. Um, and I had, you know, thankfully throughout, and this is probably a theme, people who are like, look, you're not good at this thing. You're a terrible writer. <laughs> I know that stings to hear, but you're bad at it. But the only way you're going to get better is to actually embrace that you're bad at it and then work to get better. And yeah. so I met with this one professor every week and I would write stuff and he would go in there and he would rip it to shred. And like, this okay. is bad. Here's why it's bad. Do better. And eventually I got better. But it would have been easy for me to just never engage. And I probably would have failed out of my program. Right. And so overcoming fears is what allowed me to get into academia, which for me, it was a, a life changer. This is like I'm living my my purpose, right? Which mm -hmm. I recognize is is a rare thing. And at 24, I just I made this decision. <laughs> and most 24 year olds are not thinking long term like this. But I was, you know, fortunate enough to be in the situation I was in. And then once I got into it, to ask for help and to lay my my vulnerabilities bare to people, and be okay with hearing, yeah, you're not good at something. Um, you need to get better at that and not, not let that be an obstacle to my success. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think so many people are stuck right there where you were after 9-11 with mm -hmm. what do I want to do? What am I good at? I think I know what I want to do, but I'm, I'm just going to stay where I am and never take the next step mm -hmm. to explore. You know, and this, explore. And, yeah, and this is not like uh, imaginary stuff. This is like money, right? Like I had loans. Right. And I'm like, well, I got a good job. I'm going to go back to school. 
That doesn't seem right, you know? Um, so oftentimes the, the fear is not like a, just a, an emotional fear. Sometimes it's stepping out of your comfort zone means taking a risk. And sometimes those are material risks that you have to take. Um, and so I recognize that I'm not here to like fear shame people. Um, we all experience it, I'm sure, uh, you know, in one way or another, but working past it has been just really useful for me in my, you know, my career thus far. Yeah. Well, it's the purpose of this podcast is recognizing our fear and figuring out how to get through it and get over it so that we can do the thing that we need to do, whatever it is. Yeah. So I, I got to ask you a question. Um, oh God, what? I've been doing this. No, uh, this is more just because now I know you're a maven of fear stuff. Now I want to ask you, like you've been talking to people. What are they saying about, has anyone um, busted out the sci-fi angle on fear? Yeah. Okay. We have an episode coming that focuses on the study of fear um, from a neuroscience standpoint. Oh, okay. so I have okay. a neuroscientific researcher who comes right. and talks about like where fear exists in our brain yeah. and how it affects the rest of our brain and um, how all of our, our body, our nerves, everything responds to the place in our brain where fear resides mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. how to not trick the brain, but kind of override certain fears with a better memory so that we can get past it. I mean, some fears are completely debilitating, right? Like you can't even walk. And I, like, I even recognize I have some fears that are triggered by a smell or a location mm. or just like certain things that happen in that location. I'm like, I'm never going there again. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even eat at a certain restaurant because like something mm. bad happened mm. there. Yep. So like things yep. like that. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even yep. realize. Cause like, if you ask me, I'm like, oh shit, I can do that. I'm fearless. Yeah. Like I jumped yeah. out of a plane. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm not afraid of anything. And then I'm like, oh my God. I can't eat at a Shoney's. <laughs> You're like, really? Exactly. Out of a plane? <laughs> what? <laughs> really? What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and that is. Honestly, um, that's a, the big the big deal, right? That's where fear goes from being a thing that saved us to being a thing that holds us back is nice. it's okay to fear something. It's It becomes bad when you start to fear a memory of something. Yes. You know what I mean? So right. if you got bit by a dog, and I got bit by a dog when I was a kid, Ooh. and uh, I kind of had a fear of dogs. And then I just realized, like, I'm not scared of dogs. I'm just scared of that memory of being bit by a dog when I was a kid. And if that prevents me from ever having a relationship with a dog, that's that's a loss, right? And so it's, but it's so easy how that can shift to a place where a, a thing that happened that was bad. And now I avoid that whole place off of a memory, not off of the actual thing. Right, um, right, right. So speaking of dogs, uh-huh <laughs> coming in your buddy's coming in yeah i, I think he's trying to come in and my dad okay. he's not listening and my dad is not a fan of anything or anyone that doesn't listen i i hear it this is why i don't have pets i was right. like nope nope no. i'm not gonna have a sentient being in my house no. disobeying me no do it if your kids try to bribe you just resist yeah, the pandemic puppy uh, trend has been frightening. Even on my block, just a ton of new puppies. Oh, oh my gosh. We got to get out of here. <laughs> so you talked a little bit of, um, about, you mentioned fear of feedback. Yeah. And I think that that is significant. 
So, and I think that that affects so many people from, like you said, uh, that, that sometimes forces people to, um, to avoid. So I want to talk a little bit about that, just fear of feedback, because obviously in every work situation, you have to be tough enough to handle feedback, especially mm -hmm. if it's constructive criticism. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about just that, like the fears that are associated with feedback in a work setting. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm going to keep going back to this like annual review, just because it happens so often in organizations, it's, uh, it's a useful phenomenon to look at, right? When you get your year in feedback and maybe you get a high, you know, or five or a two or a one, or, you know, you get separated from the firm, whatever it might be. That is when most people are getting the feedback about how well they've done in the past. Um, but feedback is supposed to do two things. And the problem is these, those two things are incompatible quite often. So the first thing it's supposed to do is give you information. Like, here's how you have performed. Well, not well. Like when the professor sat me down and said, Seku, you are not a good writer. Like that was information that I needed to hear about my past performance. But the other aspect of feedback, at least constructive feedback is, it is supposed to motivate you to get better, right? So it's supposed to also be framed in a way that makes you say like, okay, here's how I can address those things. The problem is of course, as soon as you start telling somebody about things that they're doing wrong, what is our natural inclination? To get defensive, shut down, not be right. So hearing negative feedback causes a lot of things that prevents uh, someone from being, or being open to hearing how to change, to be motivated to do kind of additional things. And so that, because those things happen, doing those two things at the same time is normally a disaster. And unfortunately, a lot of organizations do this. They have one meeting, here's how you did, you got a, you know, five out of 10, you need to get better at this. And there's this idea that they're going to hear that second part. They're not going to hear that second. They're only going to hear like, I got a what? What was my score? I do this with grades all the time. Mm -hmm. um, when, I, when I'm going a, over a, a paper or an assignment, I always give them their grades after. Because I know if I give them their grade at the beginning of the class, that's all they care about. They're not going to care about the solution or maybe where they were wrong. You know, they don't care. They're just going to be like, I didn't do as well as I did, or I'm doing great. I don't need to listen to any of this. Right. And so that motivation to improve and get, and, and get better is oftentimes in conflict with the assessment that you get. Um, and so, you know, separating that. And, and I think the, the, the organizations that understand this, they separate the two so that you get constant feedback on your performance throughout the year. It's not just one time. So you're always hearing like, you're doing well, you're doing better, you're doing worse, you know, almost like a needle. But then you also are able to have separate conversations that are about looking at your performance. Here are the areas I think you need to improve in. And people are going to be much more open to that when they're not worried about that number that you're trying to assign on them, right? When that's less of a focus. Um, and so with, with feedback in organizations, I think that's probably the biggest tension um, right now, that, that fear of being thought less of or not um, being thought of as highly as we thought often closes out our motivation, you know, our desire to be motivated to do better. Right, right. Wow. So that, I mean, we talked a little bit about like how it affects, how it negatively affects um, productivity. What are some of the, are there any positives to the productivity? Like, 
how fear of evaluation affects somebody in a positive way. Hmm. That's a good one. Normally it is framed negatively. Um, I would probably say it prevents uh, people from doing um, unethical things. Oh. <laughs> um, oh, does it? Hmm. It's actually, the, the, there's, there's mixed research on this that shows, you know, um, the more you monitor ethics or ethical behavior, the more people think of it as a calculus and start to, yeah, rather than a, a right versus wrong thing. Um, so that's one. I think to a certain extent, fear makes you um, stick with the status quo. Mm. So to the extent that it's actually useful for people when faced with new environments and new stimuli to do what they've always done, then fear is useful. Um, and so I think a lot about tactical teams here, right? So um, people in law enforcement or the military, right? You are facing things and you're gonna be in a place and you're gonna be scared out of your mind and you're gonna fall back to your training, the thing that you've done and has been regimented over and over again. And that's probably, right? Assuming that your training was good, going to help save you, right? Keep you, uh, from doing something that could could be monumentally bad. So, you know, I guess generalizing from that, fear is good in that it it, it will prevent you from making those catastrophic mistakes that could end the entire game, right? Like doing things that will kill your business or end your career. Um, and so in that way, that's probably a benefit of fear as well. Yeah. You know, one thing we haven't addressed is the second piece of what you teach, which is entrepreneurship. Mm. I feel like, and I, I mean, there, there's research and data there to show that a lot of people have started businesses during the pandemic. Yep. And so from that standpoint, in regards to entrepreneurship, what are some, and from what you've seen, what are some ways that you think evaluation has helped people um, who are entrepreneurial in running their business? Hmm. And not just like in an organizational setting in a corporation. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a good question. So actually, um, have a colleague, former doctoral student who, um, her name is Andrea Caldwell. Um, and she's at University of Texas, San Antonio now. And so her dissertation was looking at how entrepreneurs take advice, mm. right? And uh, she studied this in the context of accelerators, right? And so there are a lot of these organizations that have been created as a place where entrepreneurs can go get advice, can get feedback, accelerators, incubators, you name it. And so in general, most of these organizations say like, come here, we give you good advice. It helps accelerate you. And then you'll be, you know, Elon Musk. Um, but part of that, the, the, the micro level of that hasn't really been looked at. And so her dissertation, she looked at, okay, these entrepreneurs are having eight, nine, 10 meetings a week with different mentors. And all the mentors are giving them some kind of feedback. What feedback is actually sticking? Mm, yeah. Like what feedback is actually, they're saying like, oh, that's a good point. They're writing it down. And it's actually changing the way they think about formulating the strategy of their, of their new firm. And so she looked at, you know, these eight firms over, you know, one cohort of an accelerator and really got a good sense of the way that feedback was framed to the uh, ventures 
seemed to have an impact on how well it, it kind of hung. And one of the things that seemed to kind of, you know, the strings that I saw through it was when um, the mentor, there was an attempt to establish an actual relationship with the mentor as opposed to a transactional, yeah. all right, I'm here, we got 10 minutes, tell me what you got, da, 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 where it was like, I want to get to know you, I want to understand, you know, what's going on, maybe this will be useful to my business, maybe not, but I, I, I value you as an individual and what you're trying to do, and so anyway, I can help, I can help, and so it was almost being non-instrumental led to the most instrumental uh, relationships, right, and so the information that you get as an entrepreneur, I don't know. I think that's kind of secondary to, are you open to accepting it? Have you established a relationship with the person? Like those I think are the key attributes that allow us to understand what feedback is going to stick and what feedback is going to end up just becoming white noise, sure. you know, which is, which is important because yeah, as a entrepreneur, you're out there, you've already risked, you know, talk about fear and risk. Like, you're risk averse if you're an entrepreneur, right? Like you're out here just putting it all on the line. You're used to being rejected all the time. And, you know, that might actually be the interesting part of this, which is, you know, it's like people that work in sales. I don't, have you ever worked in sales? Have you ever had to have like do a sales job? No, I've been told yeah. that I should venture into that, but no. <laughs> well, I know I take it back. Not for a corporation, but for my business. Yes. Yeah. I do sales every day. And yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, see, look at you, you have forgotten all the, the facets of your life. You're like, Oh no, I do. And that's exactly it. Right. So when you're in a sales mindset, you're told no eight, nine times for every time you're told yes. Right. And so what eventually do you have to get over that fear of rejection? Right. That's the first thing. If you're in sales, you got to get over that that's quick. Right. Um, and so most of these entrepreneurs have that. And so for me, it was interesting. These are people who are used to being told no, and are not really all that scared about rejection. And now they're being told like, oh, no, 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 really listen to what this person has to tell you. And you should really like heed it. And I think they probably have problems saying like, you know, how many people told me my idea was terrible and I believed and now I'm six, you know, now it's, I've actually got some funding. How then do those people accept feedback? It, it, it's tough, right? And this is, I think, part of our lived experience. The older you get and the more successes you have, the more wary I think you become of feedback. You're yeah. like, oh, you know, the, 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 the ideas of like, people won't believe in you and don't believe the haters. And, you know, all of that is about ignoring feedback. Right. right. <laughs> and so, you know, you get to a point where you're like, this person is successful. They're, they're, they are where they are because they ignored feedback. And now we're telling them like, no, you should listen. Yeah. That's, that's the part that I think uh, a lot of people struggle with in organizations and in entrepreneurship. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you said that because I sometimes feel like the balance is as you get older and as you are more experienced, if you're in entrepreneurship and or in whatever business or corporation you're in, mm -hmm. you learn to decipher which portion of that feedback is most useful to you, mm. right? Like if it's somebody just saying, oh, you'll, you won't do well, or oh, no, I don't like that idea. I think some of us, sometimes you think about, well, what's going on in that person's life? Maybe they're just saying this because they're not having success and they uh -huh. don't believe anybody else will either. Or uh -huh. if, you know, this person has substance to what they're saying. So I think you can better decipher like which piece of that feedback is actually substantive. Yeah. And then you decide whether or not it is actually useful to you in some way. 
So let me push back on this. Okay. Because I, I, this is my natural inclination. And honestly, a lot of my research questions come from, there just seems to be this assumed way that, you know, assumptions. And I'm like, has anyone really actually looked to see if that's true? Because maybe that's not true. Yeah. So I think part of what you're saying is true. Like you get more experience and more knowledge. And so when someone gives you feedback that is opposite of what you believe, you're, you're more likely to shrug it off and say like, well, I just disagree and I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep going because I know me and I've been successful and you don't know what you're talking about. Is that true? Or do you think we just become more stubborn, right? And so the stories, the apocryphal stories of like the big company that had this new technology 10 years before anybody else, but they were like, ah, oh, I've been doing this for 50 years. I know what's a good idea and what's not. And then that idea becomes Facebook or something. You know, it's like... Yeah. Do, do you think that it is a, because it is a balance, but I, I wonder to what extent that confidence becomes overconfidence yeah. and then it becomes almost, um, you know, stubbornness or, 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 you know, this, this adherence to the status quo resistance to change. Yeah. You know, I feel like some of that, I think a big portion of that is personality related. Okay. Again, I say that because some people are just stubborn and they're narcissistic and they're not going to listen to anybody anyway. Mm. I take from that I'm stubborn, but I also understand the things that I am passionate about. Mm -hmm. And I also am able to handle rejection. So I think for me, all those things are true. Yep. Um, but I, I think for others and I mean, all around, I think a lot of it is personality related. Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, you know, the, the idea about feedback is also linked to learning yes. and having like a learning mindset. Right. So uh, a lot of this is overlaps with personality, but it is also around the extent to which you believe certain things are fixed. Like you either right. are good or not. You're born with certain innate qualities or not. Um, and someone with a good uh, learning orientation will say like, well, this is what I believe to be true. Yes. And they'll hear something that they disagree with. They're like, I, I disagree. But then they'll say, but you know what? Let me see if that person's right. Like, I disagree with that person, but let me see. And if they're actually shown to be wrong, they, they are willing to say like, you know what? I thought it was A. This person said it was B. It's actually B. Right. We're doing B now. Right. And that is obviously where you want to be. Um, and so, and I talk about this in my, in my class. This is funny because um, I tell them like part of the reason you're here in school is to develop a healthy skepticism, I'm sorry, to develop this learning orientation to say like, you know stuff, but you don't know everything. And right. in fact, the more education you get, the more you realize like, I don't know shit. Like, I don't know anything, right? right. Like the more I read, the more I realize like, my God, I'm like, I know so little. Well, so that- kids and then-, yeah, and then <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So I was like, I, I don't want you to become ego, egotistical. I want you to have that healthy, like I know some things, but I'm willing to hear out and at least see what other people have to say and see for myself. And, you know, if it's, if I find out that they're wrong, that's fine. But if they're right and I was wrong, I'm willing to incorporate that and learn from that and incorporate that in my thinking. Yeah. So that's, that's, I think, ideally where you want to be. Right. Um, but it's, it's hard. It's, yeah. Uh, a lot of people struggle to get there. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's like being teachable versus being uh, completely pompous and, um, not teachable for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So what would be some strategies do you think um, you could offer to people who are afraid and have a fear of evaluation and, and the evaluation itself? Yeah. Um, so uh, my, a lot of my thoughts about fear come from uh, <laughs> science fiction books that I read. Uh, so I don't know, are you familiar with Dune? Have you ever read Dune? I haven't. Okay, so this is like sacred text in my household growing up. My dad was a big sci-fi and he passed it on and I read it. And so in Dune, there is um, uh, this poem called the Litany, Litany Against Fear. Litany Against Fear or Litany of Fear? Oh man, I hope my dad's not listening because he's gonna be like, how could you forget this? Um, but it talks about, um, you know, I must not fear, fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total annihilation. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over and through me. And then I can't remember the last few lines, but the idea of fear, if you let fear get into your mind, it will defeat you before you even start, right? And so this litany against fear uh, has always kind of um, framed the way I think about addressing these things. And so labeling it is a big thing, right? So I talked about this, my journey, you know, 2001, right? Like recognizing, well, what's holding me back and recognizing, oh, you're just scared. You're sc and that's fine. But like recognize that it's fear and not something else. Sometimes it could be something else. So um, having, you know, the, the wherewithal to kind of understand, like there are certain things that I'm genuinely afraid of, I have anxiety about, and then you can start working on, on kind of working through that. So if it's hearing bad news, you don't like to hear bad news. Um, the best way to do that is to practice hearing bad news, <laughs> right? It's like uh, news every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, but no hearing like your own bad, like getting a lot of feedback. Yeah. I used to hate um, people like uh, looking into my teaching, right? Like and getting feedback, stuff like that. And then I realized the only way you get over that is to like get so much feedback that the occasional negative feedback does not bother you. Yeah. Right. You just have a wealth of feedback. And then you'll always still get the one or two jerks in your class that are like, this class boring. You suck. You know, and when you're only when you're getting only feedback every now and again, those negatives, man, they, they really weigh you down. But if you're constantly getting feedback, you get positive and negative, And now the negative impacts you a lot less. So you should be the type of person that seeks feedback all the time. This is a, a strategy. I think in general, anytime you engage Anytime I give a talk, I'm going to talk to you afterwards and say, like, how was I in the podcast? Like, what could I have done better? Like, I'm always asking questions about my performance because you never know when you're going to get a really killer bit of advice that I'm like, oh, man, this is this is really going to help me next time I'm on a pod. Right. Because uh, of something you told me. So have the mindset of always seeking feedback from people. Um, and the more you get, the easier it will be to get that occasional negative feedback. Yeah. Um, and then the other big piece of advice, and these are big kind of things. Like, you know, yeah. we could talk about specific, but I think you kind of get to the context and then it's... it's so, uh, Neku, before you go to the second one, and hold okay. that, because I want to yeah. go back to the first one, and there, there is a question about honesty and, and how honest you think the person that you're asking the feedback for is going to be honest with you? And how can you detect whether or not they are being authentic? Oh, I see. Um, <laughs> that is a good question. Um, because the other, the flip side to the feedback piece is that 
we are really bad at giving bad feedback, giving negative feedback, right. non-anonymously. Yeah. Anonymously, oh, we're great. Absolutely. <laughs> People will tear somebody down on a Yelp review. Um, but if you say like, go to the person and give them negative feedback in person, people don't like to do it. Right. Um, so the, the tough part of that is if a person is not being genuine or if they're afraid to tell you what they really think, um, there's not much you can do uh, unless without like just prodding the person saying like, no, really let me know, you know, like trying to convince them. But I found that to be uh, equally brutal. Um, I think you kind of have to keep or ask different people, right? Um, so if you're in an organization and your immediate boss is always like, you're doing great. You're doing amazing. You're, you're, you're like the best employee I've ever had. And then you say, like, well, if I was the best employee, shouldn't I have been promoted by now? And, you know, like, <laughs> things ain't adding up here, yeah, right? Right. Let me talk to your boss and ask them for the assessment. And so this is where I think being feedback uh, driven you'll very quickly snuff out people who are not being genuine because they're not the only person you're going to speak to. You're going to speak to like three people. Gotcha. Um, and so there are definitely people I know and I'll ask them for feedback on something and they're like, oh, what I love. And they're couching in, they're giving me all this. And I was like, okay, 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 okay. I know I've already talked to two or three people. This paper is bad, right? I just need to know what about it you think is bad, right? So you're, 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 I appreciate all the fluff, but I already, I've already gotten... A lot of feedback on this and so the more feedback you get i think the easier it is to to suss out the uh the people who are giving you the the compliment sandwich gotcha. um which is not really a compliment sandwich it's a it's a shit sandwich right <laughs> the compliments are at the, the compliments are the bread i never right. said the compliment sandwich i was like it's not a compliment sandwich. no the butter is the compliments but oh okay it's mm -hmm. the shit yeah yeah. Yeah. So you can tell someone's giving you a shit sandwich. Uh, you'll be able to suss it out pretty well if you're uh, doing a lot of getting a lot of feedback from a lot of different people. So that's yeah. probably the best strategy I can give for that. All right. All right. And so you were you were beginning to talk about the second. Um... Yes. Uh, the second thing in regards to fear, and this is also tied to um, <laughs> another science fiction book, uh, A Song of Ice and Fire. Game of Thrones, ever heard of it? Yes, hello. Okay. So uh, there's, a, there's a great line uh, back and forth between a son and a father, Bran Stark and Ned Stark. And Bran is asking Ned, how can a man, and I'm, I'm saying this off the top of my head, so I'm, I'm misquoting the great J. George R. R. Martin. How can a man be, have courage if he's scared? And in essence, his dad said, that's the only time you can show courage, right. right? Courage only exists when fear is in place, right? And so a lot of what, um, you know, I tell folks when they're like, oh, I'm worried about this. I was like, well, you're, you're looking at the fear thing. And what I'm telling you is you should be reframing this on how can I act courageously, uh, right? So thinking about courage instead of thinking about fear, right. recognizing that courage only exists when there is threat and anxiety and risk and kind of learning how to kind of manage that. And, um, you know, acting courageously when you, when you are uh, doing it with your purpose uh, or doing it in a way that you know will make you happy in the future, yeah. you really can't lose. And so the, the example I'll give is if 
you know, the things that make me most happy are helping people, right? Helping people makes me happy. 40 years from now, when I'm an old man, the thing that will make me the most happy is that I've helped as many people as possible. This I know. This is actually science, right? So this is not just me. This is all of us. The, the strongest uh, corollary to happiness are relationships, right? And so the nature of having strong, good relationships. Okay. So I know that's long-term where my happiness is. So if I'm in a situation where I am feeling that there's some risk or I'm fearful, but it's about helping someone or helping a friend or help, that's where I should be courageous, right? Because even if I fail miserably and I can't help my friend and they're in trouble, I know that long-term me acting courageous for the sake of personal relationships or the sake of a purpose that I feel very strongly about is always going to net me a positive, right? Even if I lose all my money, even if I lose my car, but like I helped people, um, I was there for them. That matters to me in the long term. That's kind of that reminder uh, sometimes helps me make those like, uh, you know, should I do it? Should I not? Right. I just made a big change. Right. I moved yeah. halfway across the country, you know, new co- and I had a lot of anxiety about that, <laughs> you know, but I was like, I have family, you know, my wife has family in North Carolina being able to spend time there and develop those relationships, even if my career f- crashed and burned, I'd never published another paper, but got to be with family, kids got to be with their cousins. Am I going to look back in 40 years and be like, oh, that was the worst thing? Ever? No, I'm not. Right. And so it allowed me to act courageously by keeping you know, my happiness, my purpose and people in, in front of mind. I love that. Yeah. I love that so much. This has been so good. I could talk to you for like another hour. <laughs> <laughs> I told Sekou once, I love talking to smart people. And every time I would see you, we would have these like really in-depth conversations. And I just, I love it. And I love this one just oh. as well. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And uh, I want some feedback about how this went. And uh, I want to hear from, <laughs> I need some notes from you. You're a professional. So any tips I can get from you, I want. So thank you very much. I'm kidding. We have been talking to Sekou Burmese. He's an associate professor of strategy and entrepreneurship in the Keenan Flagler Business School at the University of North Carolina. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Fuck Fear. We will see you again on new episodes. So be sure to tune in and subscribe if you haven't subscribed yet. Have a great day, everybody. Coming up on a new episode of Fuck Fear. It's being called the Great Resignation. Lots of people are leaving their jobs and applying for other jobs. But when you hit that button to submit your application and resume, is there fear that surrounds you, wondering whether or not you're actually going to get the job? If you're in that mode, If you're in that transition of wondering whether or not you're going to get the job and being afraid that you're not going to get the job, be sure to listen to this episode. This applies for workers and entrepreneurs afraid that they might not get a particular contract. So be sure to listen as we talk about fear of not getting the job. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. If you feel led, I'd love for you to write a review, check out other episodes, and as always, thank you for listening. Mm